Hey, Upsell crew. On today's episode of the show, I'm going to be having a conversation with the one and only Ken Friedman. Uh, Helen, do you have any thoughts on Ken Friedman or his restaurants? I really like them. Yeah. I, um, Ken Friedman is the New York fixture who brought the city restaurants like the Spotted Pig and the Breslin and a whole bunch of places that really sort of helped the shape of New York restaurants in the modern era. And he's been bringing his restauranting vision to other cities lately, including L.A., where he and Greg sat down in the Eater Upsell L.A. satellite studio for a conversation that I think is going to knock your socks off. I hope so. But Helen, before we jump into my chat with Ken Friedman, there's actually something I wanted to chat with you about. Oh, my God. I feel so special. Greg, (laughs) what can I do for you? Okay, well, let me just preface this by saying that I feel like everyone who works in the restaurant industry or writes about restaurants and that stuff at some point in time thinks, oh, yeah, I know the kind of restaurant I would open or like, what if I did open a restaurant? It would be like this. And so on that note, have you ever thought about opening a restaurant, even like in some weird sort of disassociated fantasy? And what would that restaurant be? I love this question, Greg. I love this question. I think about this all the time. What, what is what is your restaurant though? Like what is what kind of food does it serve? What does it look like? Amazingly, my restaurant opened in oh, real life. What? I had nothing to do with its creation or inception, but suddenly one day it existed in the world exactly as I had always pictured that it would be. And that restaurant is in the Napa Valley. It's owned by Thomas Keller. And it's called Ad Hoc. Oh, yes. I've uh, walked by it before and wondered how hard it would be to get a table there. So the deal with Ad Hoc is it has one set menu every day. There's like a starter and a main course and a couple of sides and a dessert. And that's it. You got one one experience that you can have there. And it's not yeah. like a tasting menu thing. It's just like... It's not a tasting menu. Uh-huh. It's like going to your friend's house for dinner... And they're like, here's what I made for dinner. I made meatloaf. There's no options. And you don't, yeah, there's no options. And it's brilliant. And and then, like, the, the other twist to it and, and the other element that makes Ad Hoc exactly what my dream restaurant was is the food is really homey and casual. It's not, like, fussy tweezer food, which even though this is a Thomas Keller restaurant and he's known for his extraordinary precision in all things, Ad Hoc is just, like, comfort food. It's, like, family dining. But... It's made to just like exacting, obsessively obsessive Thomas standards. Keller standards. Yeah. And do you know how much this costs? I would venture somewhere between forty and sixty. Yeah, it's fifty-two bucks a person. Wow, that's yeah, that's a good price. And like this was my dream the whole time, and then freaking Thomas Keller Restaurant Group had to go do it perfectly before I ever got the chance to, which is kind of okay because I was never going to do it in the first place. Well, now I really want to go to Helen's Perfect Restaurant because it actually exists. And maybe on a future episode of the Eater Upsell, I will tell you about my dream restaurant that I have percolating in my brain. Oh my God, I talk too much. (laughs) Wait, no, I want to hear about yours. Tell me about yours. My idea for like the dream restaurant is a place where the stated purpose is that it's only going to exist for a year. And then it's going to turn into... Something equally cool at the same price point, but totally different. Greg, remember how when I told you about my Fantasy Island restaurant, it turned out that it already existed? Right. Well, now I know what you're thinking. You're going to say that this restaurant does exist in, like, Chicago, right? Are you talking about Next, the the restaurant from 
the Alinea group uh, you, that changes quarterly? Yeah, well, that's, quarterly? that's what I was assuming you were going to say, but maybe I'm wrong. There is a new restaurant that has not opened yet that will be opening in Houston from a chef who's a super talented dude named Chris Shepard. Uh-huh. He's the guy behind Underbelly. Oh, yeah, the un- is- Underbelly. Uh-huh. Yeah, so he has a new restaurant that is opening that will have one theme a year, oh. and then it will close and reopen as a totally new restaurant. Oh, okay. Yeah, that is exact—I did not know about that, but that is that was exactly my idea. Yeah. Yeah. The so, restaurant is called One-Fifth. Oh, okay. And that sort of sounds like the address is number One-Fifth Avenue, but mm-hmm. actually the deal is that it's called One-Fifth because it's going to run for five years, and every year— will be a totally different concept. So every year is one-fifth of the whole. Oh, that's cool. So it's only going to be, uh, he stated that it's going to close after five years. I don't know what the exact deal is there. So that's fascinating, and I'm going to read up on that, and maybe I'll go there someday. But my idea was, like, for it to be as exciting as a new Keith McNally restaurant is when it opens. Keith McNally is the guy behind Balthazar and Schiller's Meta Tavern in New York City. It, they're like scene restaurants, and they're cool, and they're super you know, you always, when you go in them, you say, what, what are the booths going to look like? You know, what's, what are the mirrors going to look like? Like, what's the light going to be? And, you know, they're just really electric and cool. And they always like have to happen to sort of cool off after the year point. So I'd say that at that point you close it, you rearrange it, and it still has the same kind of like scene and energy, but it's just like the things have been swapped out and it's just intentionally different. And, you know, maybe not a huge cuisine shift, but like there's no repeats on the menu, you know? So it's just like, as soon as you get sick of it, it just like in that movie, Dark City, you close your eyes and then you wake up and the world is different. I have never heard of that movie, but yes. It also gives you the opportunity to build to a climactic final night. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like I think in the same way that that now I'm very scared of getting involved in any sort of mystery oriented TV show because I don't want to be burned the way I, we all got burned by Lost. Right, right. Like, I want to know going in that this is going to be an arc that has closure. Yes. And often with restaurants, you know, they don't go out in a blaze of glory. They piddle away into nothingness and and Mm -hmm. it ends with a whimper, not with a bang. Our guest on the Eater Upsell today is Ken Friedman, the restaurateur behind just a ton of great restaurants that he operates with April Bloomfield in New York, including the Spotted Pig, the Breslin, the John Dory Oyster Bar, and now White Gold, as well as Tosca Cafe in San Francisco. Ken, welcome to the Eater Upsell. Great to be here. You might want to mention that I'm the James Beard Restaurateur of the Year. Oh my God, yeah. Just, Congratulations. Just saying. What was that night like? It was crazy because I didn't, I mean, I was up against like, Steven Starr and the, 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 these, these Chicago-based restaurateurs and, you know, who own all these great restaurants there, including Girl and the Goat and stuff. So I didn't I, – I mean, I got drunk and didn't write a speech and there was no way I was going to win. So when I went up there, I, I just blanked out and didn't thank anybody that I should have thanked at all. Was that a goal for you? Did you want to win one of those? No. I mean, I didn't – no, I didn't really even think about it. I mean, I kind of honestly didn't even really – Remember, I was, I was I was nominated. It was just such a. April said to me, "You're going to win." I'm like, "What are you talking about?" There's no. I mean, I'm not even a real restaurateur compared to these guys. So, it was a. I mean, it ended up being a fun night, and you know, we ended up at at uh, what's it called? The new. I just got a Michelin star yesterday. Um, the new um, Alinea uh, Royster. Royster. We ended up there and got super more even more drunk and 
hung out with everybody. But yeah, it was it was it was a fun night. Apparently we uh, apparently we had a great time. That's what I'm, <laughs> so I was told the next day. Very good. So Ken, I think of you as like a quintessentially California guy who just happens to live in New York and have these great restaurants in New York. Are you originally from California? Yeah, from L.A. Uh, from from around from, here, huh? Yeah, from Hollywood. Wow. I would have gone to Hollywood High School. We would have gone, but we moved to San Diego. So I went to high school in San Diego and and then went to college at UC Berkeley. So I've mm-hmm. been kind of California my up, up until I was a, an adult. Wow, okay. So for those who don't know, Ken had an illustrious career before the restaurant world working in the music industry yeah. starting when you were in college. Yeah, when I dropped out of UC Berkeley to play in punk rock bands. That's <laughs> when my career started. What was the name of your punk rock band? I was in four bands. Um I played bass guitar in one, well, three bands and one kind of performance art piece. But I played mm-hmm. bass guitar in one, a band called Flack. I played drums in a band called The Eggs. I played keyboards in a band that didn't really have a name. Mm-hmm. Um and then we did a performance art piece that didn't really have a name um and my bands were terrible and nobody <laughs> would book them no no clubs would book them so i started putting on shows in my kind of dorm my, my co-op is called they, they had co-ops at berkeley um just so my band could play and eventually i started to book all the cool punk rock bands from la and san francisco and then new york and so how did, how did that all come together was it just are you, is that just kind of your personality, naturally kind of organizing people and doing things like that? No, I mean, I'm I'm actually the least organized person in the world. I just, um, I, I was an art major. I was an artist. And to me, that was like, I wanted to be an artist, um, not really a the guy that organized stuff for other artists, but it just, someone had to be doing, you know, no one was doing it. There was a punk rock scene in San Francisco. There was a vibrant rock and scene like before LA and before New York. And um, I just started to kind of, that was my way to get into the scene, to kind of like hang out with the cool bands and stuff, like putting on shows with them in Berkeley. And um, that led to putting on shows for UC Berkeley, for the student program board called Superb. And then I started having a real budget where I could do, I did the Ramones and Iggy Pop and the Police. And and then I dropped out of college and started doing shows of my own. And I did U2 and I did Susan the Banshees and the Gang of Four and the Buzzcocks and et cetera, et cetera. So when did the when did the food bug hit? Was that like later as you became kind of a, a hotshot in the the, uh, the music biz or was it always kind of there lurking around the art and the punk scene? Um, Chez Panisse is how it happened. I, I was going to UC Berkeley living – on the north side of campus, and Chez Panisse was this amazing thing that was much more than just a restaurant, and I saw that right away. I had a girlfriend that worked there, and then I had a friend that worked there, and I just, and then I got a job there, and I just um, realized, you know, I, I was then and I am now kind of obsessed with public assembly, you know, the idea of throwing a party or taking a space and m- taking it from one thing to another. That that that's what I kind of was fascinated with in in the art world, and you know I would I would at UC Berkeley you had to do a project at the end of every quarter. It was a quarter system, and in the art department you'd do a a, a project, and then you'd have to kind of have an opening for to show your paintings or your sculpture or whatever. And that was I loved the actual throwing of the of the party. That was more fun than the actual piece, and I started to make that be the piece the 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 party that I threw to show my work was the, the work. And 
that led to putting on concerts, you know, wow. putting on parties, which is what and 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 being a restaurateur is exactly that. I mean, what I do every night is just throw a party and make sure, try to make sure, or try to have the people that work for us make sure that they they pay attention to details. So you know, back to the Chez Panisse thing, what era were you there, going there, and maybe working there? Was this Jeremiah Tower or post-Jeremiah Tower? It was post-Jeremiah Tower. Um, um, and in fact, Stars was another like big, huge influence on me. Mm-hmm. But I spent a lot of time at Stars after I dropped, dropped out of college. But no, it was... I was in college in the late seventies, early eighties. I'm quite old, so um, yeah, it was it was post Jeremiah. It was just before Paul Paul Bertoli um, was chef there, but Alice was always there. So Alice was always she became friends. We became friends early on, so she was always my my friend. Um, but yeah, but the spirit of Jeremiah was still around, and 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 I I was I was obsessed with Jeremiah's restaurants as well. It's interesting. So, you know, Chez Panisse is one of my favorite restaurants and I love it. Um, But, you know, what I've heard, what I've read, I read that like biography about Chez Panisse that came out a few years ago, Mm -hmm. is that it seems like there was some kind of scene there or something that maybe, you know, now it's a real establishment and maybe gastro tourists go there and stuff. But, you know, was was that the area you were there? Did you feel that? Was it kind of, you know, was it a bit of a Hollywood spot or was there, you know? More, I mean, I mean, it was a Hollywood, you know, it was a Bay Area Hollywood, you know, Steve Jobs would be there and the owner of the Warriors would be sitting there. And, <clears throat> you know, when when big shots, not so much movie stars and stuff, but but Kofi Annan and like heads of state, they'd all go to Chez Panisse, you know. But before it became this mecca for super foodies, and indeed the reason why it was created was really to be kind of like a coffee house where people could sort of talk about politics and read poetry and, you know, it was a bunch of UC Berkeley people that, that lived in Berkeley and were kind of hippies and, you know, kind of film buffs and, you know, so it's named after Peñol's films and, and, you know, Griel Marcus, who's a great rock critic, you know, writer is one of the owners of it. And so it wasn't just about food. It was about like a place to kind of gather and hang out and talk about things and change the world. And so it had that feeling about it. And then, but it also, you know, I think Alice went to France and was sitting in one of those great country restaurants out outside of Paris that you have to drive on Michelin tires to go get to mm-hmm. while reading the Michelin Guide. <laughs> and I think she was eating goat cheese and was like, why is this goat cheese so good? And they're like, well, it's from that goat right there. And why is this salad so good because the lettuce was grown right there. I think she had an epiphany that like this is, you know, the, the weather is the same in Berkeley as it is here at this country French place. And I think Jeremiah, if you ask him, he'll say, you know, it all came from him. I think probably it was a combination of stuff. And I think that she, you know, got fascinated by food and and and, and the idea of local and the, the idea that the shortest distance from the from the farm to the plate is is best, and and maybe that was more exciting to her at this point in her life than movies and politics, and and just it became the super foodie place that that it is now. But it was just when I was a kid in college, you know, trying to figure out what to do with my life. Walking into Chez Panisse, you just there was all this stuff going on, like all these everything, not just people talking about ideas and politics and movies, but also all these foodies, like you know. People weren't taking pictures of food as much as they are now because they couldn't with their phones, but they were talking about it and dissecting it and looking at it and asking questions about it. And it just became, for me, like I realize 
it, it's like going to a club. You know, I was in the club business. I went to club. I, I spent my whole life in clubs, seeing bands and doing kind of the same thing that was happening at Chez Panisse. And I realized, wow, a restaurant doesn't just have to be a place where you sort of kill your hunger and then leave. It could be a place. It's like a club. And Chez Panisse was indeed like a club, um, a coffee house, you know, a, a, you know, a nightclub. And I love that about it. And I, and I got the bug from from really really from there, from the best. It's my favorite restaurant in the world still. And and it's kind of amazing that I got to, you know, as, as a 19, 20-year-old, got to hang out there. And so that, that's where I am. That's why I'm where I am today. That's awesome. So through your, how long were you in the, in the music industry? Like 20, 25 years, something like that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, I opened the Spotted Pig as a, as a direct result of a, of a midlife crisis. So yeah, I opened it. I was like 43, I guess. 44. What was that? What was that feeling? Like, were you burnt out? Were you just like, I... I don't like the music industry anymore or, you know, you just needed to do some creative flexing. You know, all the above. I mean, it, starting with, you know, I was an artist, right? I was a, I wanted to be a, a visual artist and I wasn't that good at it or I lost interest. Then I wanted to be a musician. In the late 70s, early 80s, everybody who went to art schools formed punk rock bands in London, in San Francisco, in New York. So I was one of those. So, but I was, I wasn't good at it. I just wasn't, I'm not a good songwriter. I'm not a good, so, so cut to, you know, years later, I'm in the industry and I'm managing bands and I'm an A&R guy. I'm a talent scout. I'm trying to figure out what, you know, high school kids next year are going to be buying. And I didn't really want to do that. I wanted to be an artist, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to work for the artist. And, um, I also, when I turned 40 and on the way to 40, even I realized that I don't really care about music that much. Like, I love it. It's a thing I love. I, I still do. Well, in fact, I, I stopped loving it because it was my job. And I started to, you know, not like a band because I didn't like their lawyer or I didn't like the manager or I didn't like the label they were on. Like the business took away from <clears throat> your... Yeah. yeah. Which is funny now because now I hate restaurants. But but no, no, that's a joke. Not really. So, yeah. So I, so I just had a midlife... And I just had like a, a kind of like a crisis. Like, what do I want to do with my life? Do I want to be that guy that looks back on his life and says, God, I wish I'd done that thing, tried that thing out that I might have been good at. And I didn't have kids or a wife or a, own a home. So I... I wasn't going to make people starve or affect anybody else's life. You know, it was a victimless crime to decide to change careers so late in life. And everybody tried to talk me out of it, except for a lot of music business artists, pe people in bands and people that I've become friends with over the years. A lot of these guys were the ones and girls were the ones that, because they, they'd see me throw a party or see me at a, do a barbecue and they'd say, wow, you're passionate about this. You should do this. You should do a restaurant, you know, and, and. If you do, give me a call. I'll, I'll invest. Yeah. So some of these people became your partners. Is that the story? Yeah. I mean, pretty much. I mean, yeah. Like I'll, pretty much everybody who who said that, I I approached. You know, and most of them wrote checks. Some so, did. So who are some of the names? They're uh, Fat Boy Slim. Is that one of these guys? I mean, he is. You know, I, I mean, I always say this. I mean, I just find it sort of distasteful to talk about my yeah. celebrity investors, and right. some don't care, and some right. you know, like Fat Boy Norman. Mm -hmm. He he loves that. He's always talked about as a mm -hmm. partner in the Spotted Pig and stuff. But but yeah, there's a bunch of my friends from from the business that you can Google it. Yeah. Well, exactly because because <laughs> I've either let it slip or either by accident or on purpose or yeah, people know. But I, I just I don't want to be that guy that sort of talks about you know what is 
you know, what does Kim Kardashian eat? She's not an investor, by the way. But you know, what what you know, what what is what's her favorite entree? You know, it's I don't know. I don't want to really do that. So how did you connect with April? I knew she she was working at Chez Panisse a little bit before you guys teamed up, right? Yeah, well, because we because this because what became the Spotted Pig wasn't ready, and she had sort of originally wanted to come to America and work at Chez Panisse. She like every chef in the world is sort of obsessed with Chez Panisse and going there and being there and meeting Alice. So when when I made a deal to bring her over just to be my chef, at that point she was just going to be my hired chef, um, we weren't ready. I mean, what happened was the space that was going to be the Spotted Pig, um, a space on Elizabeth Street, um, fell through. What space was it? Do you remember? It, w- it was called M&R Bar back then in 2004. It's been a bunch of things since then. It's, it's kind of one of those kind of jinxed spaces that mm-hmm. never really worked. So There's uh, no <clears throat> restaurants on Elizabeth Street now. It's really? just boutiques, I feel like. I mean, there was public and there was... Oh, yeah, public and, that's, yeah. Maybe that's still yeah. there. But the there were so there. many. Mm-hmm. There, this had a little courtyard and, you know, a little garden in the back and stuff. Mm-hmm. But what happened was I, I, I met April through through Jamie Oliver. Jamie Oliver suggested that this girl, April Bloomfield, that he'd worked with at the River Cafe might be someone that wanted to move to America and and, and do what became mm-hmm. a gastro pub, the Spotted Pig, with me. So I started to email back and forth with her and um and liked her a lot. I mean we 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 like sort of bonded over email, we never met or anything. And yeah, she was sort of obsessed with coming to Chez Panisse. So I said, well look, um I'll get you like a stodge there for maybe a few weeks, or whatever. But then when the she came over to New York and she saw the space that was going to be the spotted pig, and she hated it. What I, what I learned then about her is that she's really great at kind of just walking into a, to a room and sort of deciding if it's going to work or not. She's just got this great sense of feng shui or, or whatever it is. And she was like, well, you know, can I be honest? This I don't like this room. And luckily it fell through. The, the community board wasn't going to give us a liquor license. All this stuff happened. So, mm. so, so then I went back and, and found the, the space that's now the Spotted Pig that, that was right across from where I lived, actually, like directly across from my apartment. And, and I didn't know it was available till I till I was telling the guys who owned Le Zoo, the restaurant that it was before, that um I was looking for a restaurant space. And so now I feel like a completely iconic restaurant space and corner right there. It is, yeah. Yeah. I mean it's it it just everything worked, you know, it was lightning in a bottle. It just I mean the the, the neighborhood worked. I mean I didn't really know the difference between a a corner space and a middle block space. And I didn't know the difference between being in a, an area where people work versus an area where people live versus an area where, where there's both. And it just kind of worked, you know, in, in every way. And, 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 and April as well, you know, I, this is somebody I didn't know at all. And I offered her a job and sent her a plane ticket and she came over to New York and, you know, did you taste her food before you guys? no, just going on Jamie Oliver's word. And Mario, Mario Vitale, you know, was my friend, is my friend. And he, um, I knew Mario just because I would like bring kind of famous people to his restaurants and, you know, music music people. And he was, you know, he's obsessed with music and I was obsessed with food. So we became friends. So he, you know, I kept leaning on him to like, tell me, what do I do? And, you know, and he said, you know, you don't need to taste her food. I mean, she worked in all these great restaurants. You've been to most of them. She's got burns all over her arms, which means she's a badass, which means she's, she'll, like, reach into hot ovens, and that's really important. Um, and, I mean, we did a tasting later. I mean, Mario and Joe did a tasting just to kind of make sure because then it was becoming real. And I think Mario went to Joe Bastianich, his partner, and said, you know, 
this guy Ken, this friend of mine, he's doing a restaurant. It's like for real. We we should probably. I told him we didn't have to taste this girl's food, but we should. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I may have steered him wrong, and that was great. Like being at a tasting with Mario and Joe, I learned so much just from that tasting. What to look for, and you know, because I didn't, I didn't have any confidence in my palate. You know, my ability to just to distinguish between great and good and bad. Mm-hmm. So. Um, but the way I am now about movies, you know, people say, wow, what a great performance by that actor. And I think, hmm, I don't know. I can't tell. Like, I wouldn't be a good voter for the Academy Awards. Right, I don't know. right. So, yeah. So menu-wise, was this was that a kind of a collaboration? I mean, I feel like the Spotted Pig menu is, I mean, you change things out. You have seasonal things. But I feel like now it's like, it's just a classic. And the nudie, you know, and the burger and a few other things, are they're never going to leave. right. We, we try sometimes, but it doesn't work. <clears throat> I mean, at times, April says, you know, I get all these kids who are, you know, culinary school students, and they're in debt to their parents, and they're in debt, and they, and they come to work at this Michelin star restaurant, and all they do is flip burgers all night, and mm-hmm. let's take the burger off the menu. And I always say, you know, we can't. I mean, there'll be riots in the streets. It's like our, it's, our, it's your signature dish. So we end up raising the price, and then we sell the same amount or more. So... Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's just at this point, I think April realizes that it's, you know, it's not, and I realize it's, it's not an art piece. It's not, even though the best art I think is done for the artists, like, you know, Bob Dylan makes an album that he wants to make, not an album that he thinks will sound good on the radio and same with painters and poets and, and chefs, I think too, and restaurateurs. But I think in, you know, in lots of ways, when you're in the food business, it's not all about you. It's kind of about the customers too. And if somebody, you know, especially the Spotted Pig, it's hard to get a seat at the Spotted Pig. You've got to make a real commitment. You know, you've got to travel from somewhere else. You've got to wait. You have no guarantee when you're going to sit down. So it's a fun wait, though. It's that's what we always say. It's a fun wait. It's, it's a it's a great neighborhood to wait. It's great to sit there. It's one you know. of the rare restaurants where people enjoy. You know. <laughs> It's not like the Cheesecake Factory where you wait for two hours, you know, out in a mall. <laughs> right, you know, you're right. in this right. really nicely lit space and everyone's having a good time. And you're in the West Village of Manhattan. So if you want to wander around, there's great bars and restaurants. And we'll, now, you know, we'll text you when your table's ready or we'll go get you at the place next door. And, but, but, you know, but, but, for, but to, to kind of – once someone gets a seat finally to say, you know, say, oh, no, we don't – we took the burger off. We took the nudie off. You know, people are like, well, this is why I came here. Like, mm-hmm. It's like bands. One of the bands that I worked with years ago was a band called Simple Minds, a band from Glasgow, Scotland. And they had a, a hit in America called Don't You Forget About Me. And it was the only song they ever did that was written by somebody else. It was a number one single in America. And when they went on tour after that came out, they wouldn't play that song because it wasn't they, – they were not proud of it. <laughs> And I remember I was their manager. I was like standing by the side of the stage, seeing people booing and throwing things. And I realized, and you, you can't. It's not about you. These kids paid money to see a band they only knew because of that one song. You can't just decide. Oh, now I hate it. I mean, you can, mm-hmm. but it's just not really right to do. And you, so, I sort of took that idea to like we can't take the burger off the menu. Right. It's just not something that. If Abel really wanted to do it, I'd, I'd go with her. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I never tell her or any chef that I work with what to do. Mm-hmm. Just like I never told bands I signed when I was an A&R guy what, you know, what songs to take off the record or put on the record. Or, you know, if I'm so smart, I should make my own record, I always thought. But, um, yeah, so, so we do have stuff on the menu that's just, we can't take off. I feel like um, it's not an overstatement to say that the Spotted Pig is one of 
like the most popular New York restaurants in the last 15 years. Certainly one of the most comp emulated restaurants, I think, nationally and perhaps around the world. Well, what was like the thing that pushed you guys over the edge and made it just this big, this big place? Like, was there one review? Was there one mention? I mean, no, there are a bunch of stuff. I mean, I think part of it was there wasn't really in 2004 a bar with really great food. <clears throat> people love bars in New York, especially, and people love great food, but never the twain shall meet. Like the, the, I used to go to these bars and sit by myself or with people, and and I'd I'd wonder aloud, like, who's who made the rule you can't have great food? Like, why do bars just have bar food? Mm-hmm. Why? I mean, they have kitchens. Why can't you just have like restaurant food? Why can't you put a a restaurant chef in this kitchen instead of just someone defrosting stuff? So I think part of it's that the idea, and and it, and it was the West Village, which is an area that's full of hipsters, but it's not very hip. There's not hip places to go. People would go to different neighborhoods than the West Village. To it's true, it's de facto the hippest place in the West Village, a place that a lot of tourists come to because it's lovely. And what I set out to do was a neighborhood watering hole, and it became an international destination, and which is great. I mean, it means. We can use the money we make from that to do other things. And we have staff that, you know, they they mm-hmm. they survive and have families and stuff now on just mm-hmm. the money they make from working there because they make a huge, you know, the servers and bartenders, everybody makes a huge amount of money because we do big numbers there. And so it's it's great. But there wasn't one thing. I mean, there was a review that that Jay Rayner did in the for the for the UK Guardian that came out about a year in that was a big deal in terms of like people in the UK and for April it was a big deal. All of her peers read about this, you know, this gastropub that's basically, he was saying it's the best gastropub in the world. And it's, <laughs> right. and it's not and it's even not in New York. It's not, a, it's, yeah, it's not in England, you know, it's um, not in England. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it also makes, it makes it hard for us to open, well, A, other spotted pigs, which we're, we're always back and forth, should we or shouldn't we? But specifically, it's hard to go to, to the UK to do a gastropub because the press, I think I'm more afraid than April is of this, but I'm, I'm, I'm afraid the press is going to crucify us by saying, oh, they're they're trying to teach us how to do a gastropub properly. They're you know? pretty vicious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's sort of like the Rolling Stones when they, you know, they copied Little Richard and Buddy Holly and people like that and then came back to America. And I think apparently some of the press in America was like, oh, great, these, these, these pimply-faced British kids are teaching us about blues, <laughs> Chicago right. blues. So but they survived and we probably could too. So we've chatted a little bit before, um, but something I don't think I've ever uh, mentioned to you is that I actually worked at the Spotted Pig for about four months, and I got fired. And um, by me? Not by you. No. Um, got fired for a good reason. Everyone was having a staff party. I was one of the people behind the bar that was, you know, maybe oh. pouring people some beers and stuff. And you know, I at the time I thought it was really kind of an injustice because I thought I was not doing anything that everyone else was doing that night, but. I got to say, um, it was the thing, the experience that got me excited about working in restaurants and like the thing that made me actually want to write about them and get into it. So, you know, everyone should get fired from a job at least once, I feel like. Yeah, I, 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 I think I remember you, right? I remember you. I was a food runner and like right. at the end a back waiter. I'm, I remember you, and I remember two things. One, one night you spilled a whole thing of oysters on... Uh, what's his and on, on, um, is that you? I, I don't remember this, but I could have just blocked it out. I oysters. Think, 
Did you spill a whole, like all the, all the ice and water from an oyster? I think you were either clearing the plate uh, on, on Thomas Keller. Was no, it, it wasn't no. you. I would have remembered Thomas Keller. I think. Okay. It wasn't you then. Someone... There was another guy that looked a lot like me that could have been somebody were else. You, were you, or are you a huge U2 fan? No. That was the other guy then. Okay, there was a huge U2 fan that he only came to work for us because he wanted to meet the band. Oh, really? And he basically was just like always, you know, okay, that wasn't you, thank God. No, it was a very busy time at the Spotted Pig. And, uh, I mean, I had a tremendous amount of respect for what you and April did. I learned, you know, I made some connections that are still with me today. Great. Um, So, you know, all things considered, it wasn't this, you know, but... I got to say, I, I kind of learned, I feel like, from being there at that time. This is like a decade ago. Right. This, I, you guys had just opened the second floor. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I just remember learning basically about what I think is, for lack of a better term, X Factor. You know? Why is this the most popular restaurant in New York? It doesn't, it doesn't even, it's greater than the sum of its parts. But you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I don't know. I mean, in a lot of ways, April and I both just kind of ducked. We got out of the way. It was just mm-hmm. happening. You know, it wasn't there wasn't much. I mean, we both have this philosophy. I probably said it first, but like if it if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I mean, I didn't say it first in history, but but in the context of the spotted pig, a lot of stuff that I think, oh, I should do this or that, and I should change that or a different light bulb here or a different you know piece of art or mm-hmm. change the fabric on the banquet, like. Let's just keep it the same. Like it's like something's happening here and it's working and it's full. What, don't overthink this. And it's the same with the menu too. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you know the menu doesn't really change as much as maybe she or a chef at her level wants to, because let's not fuck with this too much. Right. And the same with staff and our head chefs, and we don't sort of go. Th- we don't sort of pull the trigger. I mean, I'm sorry we fired you, but no, that's okay. Um, Seriously, it was like one of the best things that happened to me professionally, you know? Maybe you should do like some kind of article. You should, you should come back, try again, come and work as a back waiter and then write oh, yeah. about it, write about the experience. I was honestly afraid to go back for many years for, for no good reason. And then I went back like two years ago and absolutely loved it. Oh, I'm glad. And, yeah, you don't, yeah, you don't feel, I mean, yeah, people have quit and fired. Who fired you, Tim? Was it Tim? Or no, it? Tim was always a nice guy. It was... Um, Randy? No. Randy no, was it was this, this new manager. He was kind of a short fellow. The Latino kid? Uh, yeah. Oh, I think God. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy, he came from Mario. Right, right, right. That guy. It was cool. I I, I feel like I was fired, as somebody say, explained it, as an example, because they, they didn't want everyone partaking of the, the libations after work, which I understand. Everyone's got a business to run, you know? Well, no, that's but, but, but see, that's not how we are. See, the, yeah. the, the thing is, these managers come in and they start to implement these rules other mm-hmm. restaurants do. Right. We, really, I, because I can only speak for the front of house, you know, April with the kitchen, it's actually the same, but I mean, mm-hmm. I'm going to speak for the, what she does with the kitchen, but we're a team, we're a sports team, we're a football team, we're we're on the battlefield together for hours and hours and hours. After work, I want to hang out with my peers and, and, yeah. and recap what happened and have a few drinks. Mm-hmm. So not only do we allow our staff to sit at the bar and drink together after work, sometimes way after work, mm-hmm. but we want them to have their friends come to the pig and who work in other restaurants mm-hmm. and meet them and drink there and hang mm-hmm. out there and, and exchange stories and stuff, mm-hmm. which is something I, I, I stole from Jeremiah Tower, by the way, back to oh, Jeremiah yeah? Tower. Stars was this place that, you know, the, the kitchen closed at, at midnight and the bar closed at two. And Jeremiah noticed that all of his super groovy, young, hip, 
gay, straight, tattooed, you know, mm-hmm. cooks would finish work and then they'd all leave. Mm-hmm. They, they'd all rush out. And he said once, where are you going? Oh, we're going to go to this bar over here. We're meeting all of our friends from other restaurants. We all go there. So he then said, here's a bunch of drink tickets. Have them all come here and you can, and they can draw, you all drink for free at my bar. So the, so the stars bar was always full of the coolest cooks and, and restaurant wow. and hotel workers. So I completely stole that idea from Jeremiah Tower. So the part of the reason why the pig have this whole industry still does, I mm-hmm. mean, other cooks and everybody comes to it is mm-hmm. because of that. We, we not only allow, but we encourage our bartenders to do buybacks and, you know, frequent dining miles, frequent drinking miles, you know, you know, so yeah, I mean, we want people to, to, to have shift drinks, plural. You know, I worked really hard at that job. I had a lot of fun. I made a lot of money too. I got to say, yeah. I was like the most money I'd made for many years. Yeah. The one kind of warm, fuzzy memory I have from that, those after hours is I was cleaning up and the guys from Coldplay were hanging out mm-hmm. and they got all the servers together and they said, let's all get these guys a shot. And I was like, these people are so nice. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. The Spotted Pig is where it all happens. <laughs> a lot of stuff does happen. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's, I'm, I'm always tempted to tell stories, but, but like I, you know, but, but I, it's distasteful to tell stories and some of them I don't really remember yeah. anyway, but, but yeah, there's the amazing stuff that happens. Late night there, and not late night. So for their follow-up to The Spotted Pig, is a restaurant that I know a lot of my colleagues really love, the original John Dory Oyster Bar. I mean... Yeah, that was a great place. Well, it, that was just the John Dory. The, the, that was the, just the, the John sec- Dory, yeah. The second one, just to kind of set it apart from the first one we called the Oyster Bar, the John Dory Oyster Bar. But yeah, that was a that was an example of, of, of a bunch of things gone wrong. One of them is just overthinking me being still a music business guy thinking this is my second album my first album was was the spotted pig and second albums are often really bad when you think about artists throughout history the first album is the greatest hits of your whole life all the best songs you've ever written the second album is the songs didn't make the first album and often you were on the road promoting the first album you didn't really have time to write great songs and you didn't think it through and you and the other members of the band didn't really know each other that well yet because things happen so fast and all that happened with April and me. This was a point where now April was my partner, not my employee. You know, this was a time when I wanted to do one thing and she wanted to do something else. We forgot to talk about it. Um, and it just, and Mario and Joe talked us into a space that wasn't a great space for us, but because it was next to Del Posto, they, they wanted us to be near them. And it just, but we loved it. I mean, it was a great, great place. It was, it was crazy. You know, it, 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 I mean, people still. Yeah, know. it had it had a lot of integrity. I mean, people really loved. The, yeah. I mean, the space and April's food. I mean, I remember. Yeah. I remember the Times review of it in the photo. There was like Mike D from the Beastie Boys. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. And I was like, what a perfect little, uh, you know, that's encapsulation right. of kind of what this place is. That's you right. Know? And it, you guys got three stars, right? <laughs> I think or two got, stars. I think we got two stars. Two stars. Bruni. I think he wrote that he didn't give us three because the seats weren't comfortable or something. Something like which that. Is what he, which is what he also wrote about his review of the Spotted Pig when the second we we did the second floor and he reviewed it as a restaurant and said, you know, I'm not giving it more than one star because l- lack of lower lumbar support. The stool. The stools. Yeah. Yeah. Well, stools are everywhere now. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the idea of the stools was mainly me spending a lot of time in Ireland in pubs in Ireland where people would lean in and talk to each other because they were on these stools. So people would Mm -hmm. really be having these in-depth conversations, which I loved. 
maybe from the shape in these days of like this is more than just eating food it's like a place to exchange ideas and stuff so let's 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 kind of encourage that encourage people to sit there you know when you go to the pig as a customer you know you sit there and you're so close to the person next to you that if you t- if you look at them you you know they start off as strangers and 10 minutes later they're sharing food and exchanging numbers you know i heard someone out in front of the pig a few years ago say you know i've I've made more friends with the spotted pig than all throughout high school and college combined. Wow. This was just a customer, you know. That's great. Yeah, it's cool. Well, geez, you've opened a bunch of restaurants with April since then, um, including Tosca in San Francisco, which is amazing. And You went? Yeah. I thought That's it was right. fantastic. And I'd never been, so I'm from the Bay Area, but I'd never been to the original Tosca. But did you guys have to change a lot in your operations when you started doing something on the West Coast? And you're planning another San Francisco project as well, right? the yeah and the former strip burlesque house yeah and, and the L- lusty lady yeah, yeah the lusty lady which was a peep show place one of those places that you you'd go into a, well, you you wouldn't and i wouldn't yeah. but some people would right go into a booth a private booth and you put five dollars in a in a thing and the, the window would open and there'd be naked girls dancing on the other side of the glass so the, the lusty lady closed and the landlord same landlord that we have at tosca said do you want the space? And it connects. There's actually a door that connects the two spaces wow. anyway, just from 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 1919 when they were mm-hmm. built. So we yeah we took it without really knowing what we were going to do with it. It's mm-hmm. been it's now been we've been paying rent for I don't know a year and a half <laughs> now, but we only just now are figuring out what we're going to do with it. Aside from we, we needed wine storage and a walk in and a trash room and a staff room. I mean, we needed all this stuff. We we had no prep area in Tosca. I mean. The basement of Tosca is the Hustler Club. You know, there's no... Oh, wow. So, which is nice in some ways, but mm-hmm. it's not good for prepping for dinner. So so we just took the space. It's been a raw space um, since we sort of gutted it after the Lusty Lady, you know, left. And um, we're only now kind of about to figure out what we're going to... We just sort of figured out what we're going to do with it. Wow. Um, I could tell you, but I, then I have to kill you. <laughs> I can't, I can't. So you've been in New York. I mean, you guys have been opening a lot of uh, a lot of things as well. Um, latest is White Gold, a butcher shop in the Upper West Side, someplace that we would never have expected to see you guys move. But I know the people of the Upper West Side are hungry for it and yeah. super excited. Yeah, and as am I, because I do not have any idea where to go and eat up there. <laughs> right. But um, yeah, people are pretty happy about. Us, us opening up there. That and Salvation Burger and Salvation Taco. I kind of see these as kind of interesting spinoffs of, you know, your main kind of gastropub thing where they're kind of like these kind of smaller places that are really fun and energetic, but like a little bit more casual pop. You pop in for mm-hmm. like, you know, um, Salvation Burger, which I, I really loved. I mean, just like the the, the kind of best iteration of a, a Big Mac you could possibly make in a restaurant kitchen, I feel like, you know. Um, which is very in line, I think, with how I like to eat when I go out. And, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. Um, yeah. you want to eat it with the best, you know, everything. And, you know, cooked really nicely. Yeah. Um, so, but w- what is, I mean, you guys are, and you're working on something in L.A. right now? We are. We, we took over the old Cat and Fiddle, mm-hmm. you know, this great, great, iconic British pub on mm-hmm. Sunset, mm-hmm. just just past Highland, you know, mm-hmm. between mm-hmm. Highland and Vine. And um. You know, it's sort of like Tosca. It was like the cat and fiddle space became available. The landlord approached us. Mm-hmm. I think he thought we would – well, he asked us if we would do a, a British pub. Mm-hmm. I don't think either April or I wanted just to do a British pub at this point. Like, mm-hmm. 
I mean, I, I maybe would have if she wanted to, but she didn't really want to just do a British pub. It's not at this point in our lives what we want to do. Right. So we said, look, we'll we'll do something there, but it, we'll do whatever we want to do. And that, we, don't mm -hmm. want to, we don't want the landlord to tell us what to do there. And he's, you know, they said, okay. And um, so, yeah, so we're, LA is a town with a distinct lack of outdoor dining. I'm not sure why, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I mean, the Chateau Bramont where I'm staying now, like, Last night they put up a, they covered the, the courtyard because for the winter. <laughs> I mean, it's like 80 degrees today here. Yeah. I, don't, I don't really get it. I, you know, so this has a great courtyard, amazing courtyard that when you look at old pictures of it from when it was built in 1927, you know, it was this enchanted garden with a fountain. And, and over the years, I think, I mean, I, I mean, when it was a tea house for years, then it was a, a Polynesian restaurant for years. Um, the garden was used, but then I think with the cat and fiddle, I mean, they used it. People sat out there and stuff, mm -hmm, but it mm -hmm. it didn't seem to have like beautiful indigenous plants and there weren't avocado trees and lime trees and lemon trees and herbs. And it didn't smell like a beautiful kind of Southern California it's not place. as awesome as it could be for a space like that, huh? Right. So our intention is to like make an enchanted garden in the front of what was the cat and fiddle and then... And then also you know, have the indoors, which now that we've guttered it is like light and airy, mm -hmm. and it's not like a dark kind of British pub-looking place anyway. It's you know it's it's wood and it's stucco and it's light. So even if we'd committed to doing a British pub, it wouldn't really feel that much like a British pub. And I think at this point, April doesn't want to do just sort of British cuisine mm -hmm, only. Mm -hmm. So we're going to do something awesome there. We're not exactly sure what it is. She's a pretty clear idea of what she's doing with the food and. I'm working with Roman and Williams, who we've worked with oh, on a amazing. couple of restaurants. They've never done a restaurant in California, in L.A. Oh wow! Um, so they have, and they're you know they're they both lived here forever. Stephen, mm -hmm. who's Roman, who's Williams, I guess his grandfather was Williams. He's from Southern California, so like you know, they're we're going to do something amazing. Wow! Um, and it's going to go way over budget, <laughs> and it's not going to open when we say. So I won't even say because it'll never open when we right. think. But yeah, that's that's uh, that's we, we're the ones that, that have taken over that that iconic space, and that's incredible. Hopefully, we'll make it better. I love the idea of an outdoor restaurant. So, I guess one of my last questions for you. I'm just kind of curious. I mean, I find it totally awesome and and fascinating how you and April keep taking on these new challenges and keep going to these new neighborhoods and to different cities. I mean, I'm just kind of curious. What is the big motivation there? Is it that you guys just want you guys like different neighborhoods and different cities and have ideas that are on the back burner or do you want to put your staff into new restaurants and let them lead it or kind of what is the is there a grand plan or is it a little bit more up in the air I mean that's the great question you know it's we try to have a grand plan like a few years ago we sort of decided let's stop reacting and start being proactive let's stop just getting an offer and going and doing the, let's just decide what are we going to do as a restaurant group? You know, I'm much more promiscuous than she is when it comes to deals. I want to do more things. She's much more, and part of why we're great partners, and she's a great partner for me. I'm lucky to have her. You know, she says no to a lot of things. She just thinks she's not ready. We're not ready. Mm -hmm. It's the wrong thing. I have I have three things I've done without her because I just wanted to do them so badly. She said, "Go do them." Mm -hmm. The Conde Verde is my project. I, I put it all together. Yeah. I brought in Carmelini. Just you know, the only revamp like that that's ever worked and yeah. it worked spectacularly well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just 
yeah, sing- yeah. a singular sensation there. <laughs> it's a, it's another. I mean, it's it's a little bit like Spotted Pig in some ways. It's like it just kind of happened. It just everything was kind of worked. The location, the owners, the hotel, the, the whole thing. But um, yeah, she just didn't want to do it. She just wasn't didn't want to do it. And David Chang introduced me to Andrew Carmelini, who you know had at that point had left. Danielle to go to open a voce and that wasn't working and you know he was sitting there available and he's an Italian-American guy and he was doing French food and then he finally did some Italian food and you know he was just was perfect timing and he's super ambitious you know um I mean he's opened uh, tons of restaurants since yeah, the kind of very way more than we have even you know um he's on a roll yeah he's great he's a great chef and a great guy but but and you know the rusty knot I did with Tavo Selmer who's my friend from Freeman's and still a blast, still a super fun place. Yeah, it's it's great. It's, I it's, like to go there in the afternoons, actually. The light is so incredible coming. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty mellow. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, yeah, and um, so April and I just kind of we want to have a grand plan, but I don't I don't know that we have one yet. Mm-hmm. You know, I, yeah. Okay. I'm, I I th- I think we don't open as many restaurants as probably I would if she wasn't my partner saying no most of the time. Um, and we try to do interesting projects, you know. We try not to recreate things, but I mean, the the Salvation brand is something mm-hmm. that we thought might be cool to do something with these hotel guys that we like and believe in, and they're doing their first brand, and you know, they've been together for years, and it's the first time they've done like a a brand. The, the pod would, you, would you guys do more Salvation branded restaurants? Would you do like a pizzeria or something? Or? Yeah, we're doing we're doing a Salvation we're doing a, a Salvation something in in Williamsburg. They're building they're building right now a pod hotel right in Williamsburg on Driggs. Um, it's between a the new Apple Store and the new Whole Foods. You wow! Know, it's you know it's the official you know end of Williamsburg. You know it's now done. Um, it's not cool officially anymore, mm-hmm, and we're right mm-hmm. in the center of that. Um, we may do taco mainly because when you look around there, there's there's already burger and there's already chicken, right, and there's already right. everything else. And the one thing that isn't really right there is taco. And Salvation Taco is such a phenomenon; it's so big, and mainly because the outdoor spaces. And this pod in Williamsburg on Driggs has like seven outdoor spaces. So we might recreate Salvation Taco again. But the idea was different Salvations: Salvation mm-hmm. Chicken and Salvation Dumplings and Salvation Pizza. And we passed on this on the pod hotel in Times Square where we were going to do pizza just because. We had too much going on and stuff, and, and the, the Teresi Carbone guys <laughs> took it over. They're doing something there. Wow. Instead of us. At the pod? At the pod uh, in Times Square, yeah. They're doing a parm and something else. Oh, right. That's right. On 42nd yeah. Street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a big one. It's a huge it's a huge hotel. Right. Well, you know, you guys don't need to be in Times Square. You know? I mean, I mean, again, I wanted to do it. April mm-hmm. said, we have all this other stuff going on. where we And she was right. Like, we wouldn't have done it right. We right, have, right. We would have done it half-assed, and that's not— we, we we're we're not yet an organization. We're still mom and pop. Um, right, pop, right. she's mom. You know, so <laughs> so we're trying. So we're trying to grow up and become an organization that can do things, but not lose sort of our you know attention to detail. There you go. And now it's the lightning round, Ken, and we have questions from the Eater Upsells co-host Helen Rosner. Hey, Ken. Hey, Greg. Super jealous that I am not out in LA with all of you guys, but I have some questions for you. All right, Ken. Question number one. What is the most recent thing that you ordered for delivery? Um, pot. Good answer. Next question. If you were in disguise and you knew you were 
just going to be treated like a random, polite tourist. How long would you personally be willing to wait for a table at the Spotted Pig? Not that long. I, 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 I say a lot that if I didn't own the Spotted Pig, I probably would never have tried it, or, or certainly not at night. I, I'm, I'm, I'm the worst that way. I, my attention span is way too short. You know, I'm, I do as I say, not as I do. Is there any time, I'm sorry, is there any time at the Spotted Lunch is pretty mellow at the Spotted Pig, right? You can just usually walk in. You can usually walk in. I mean, it's, yeah. not, it's not mellow. I mean, mm-hmm. Friday is not mellow. Right. And some days, but yeah, you can usually walk in and get a seat at the Spotted Pig. You, you know, maybe yeah, the, the bar Yeah, last stool. time I was there was lunch and it was, every seat was full, but yeah. Yeah, it's not, it's not, a, it's not the scrum that it, I mean, you, if, if you're willing to sit at the bar, you can have lunch there for sure. Mm-hmm. And it's great. The, the light is amazing. I mean, you when you have a corner space, you have all this stuff called frontage. You know, all this all this, all this light coming in. It's pretty chill. Uh, okay, lightning round question number three. What's one thing that you see a lot of restaurants do wrong or badly that drives you totally crazy? Um, making customers like stare at filament light bulbs. Having your, you know, having like light, like you're not supposed to stare at a light bulb throughout, you know, so you're not supposed to sit for two hours and, 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 and look at the filament of a light bulb. And these, this whole like Baroness and light bulb thing is, is, it's just not very comfortable to like be, be, be doing that. So that and, and music that's too loud where you have to, you have to yell. That's no fun. I'm talking to you, David Chang. <laughs> okay. Next question. What's one way most people don't realize that the restaurant industry and the music industry are alike? Well, there's many ways, but one thing is that if you're a songwriter and you write a great song, you make money while you sleep. You wrote that song. It's your song. No matter what you're doing, someone's going to buy that song. Same with restaurants. If you make a great restaurant, whether you're there cooking the food or running the food to the table or cleaning the bathrooms, you make money for the rest of your life off that idea you had and the fact that you built that restaurant. That's one way. There you go. Okay. A fact about me that is relevant to this question. I am often really awkward and shy at parties and you are really smooth and cool. What advice would you give me about being a better schmoozer? Alcohol. (laughs) That's what I do. So what's your drink of choice if you if you go to a bar that's an open bar? Inexpensive white wine, inexpensive dry. I mean, it doesn't have to be inexpensive, but like a but white wine because red wine makes me sleepy and spirits, I, I can only have one or two that I'm too drunk to drive or talk or whatever. White wine, and I'm, I'm like my mom. I put ice cubes, you know, uh, in my wine so I get, get a little bit of water with them. So yeah, white wine, I can like drink white wine all night and stay awake and stay sober and not want to, you know, pass out or get in a fight. Right on. Do we have any? Do we have any more questions? Maybe one more. Keep them coming. Would you rather be the first person to know about a hot new band, or the first person to know about a hot new restaurant? Well, now a restaurant because I don't, I, I don't, I don't care at all really about getting brownie points from my friends regarding like some new band I knew about. But with restaurants, yeah. I mean, and also I'm the guy everybody calls to say, I'm coming to New York, where do we eat? So yeah, I mean, I, I could use that information to 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 help help out people with bands, yeah. I mean, I used to be an A&R guy. My job was in fact to go find the hot new band and stuff, but now I, I don't mind waiting till the band's not the hot new thing anymore, you know. I mean, I'm, I hear bands all the time. I mean, now I'm I'm in L.A. and I turn on K-Rock and KCRW and stuff and I hear these new bands and I'm glad I heard them. It's great. But I don't, I don't, I don't start texting my friends saying, 
quick, check out this new band, you know. But with restaurants, I do do that. All right. Well, Ken, thank you so much for chatting with us today on the Eater Upsell. And um, can we? Where can we follow you on social media? Or you're a little bit of a social media guy, right? Not enough, but I mean, I am. I mean, I'm Facebook. I'm a Facebook guy. Mm-hmm. I don't check it all that often. I mean, often mm-hmm. I'll see a message from like months ago that I forgot to mm-hmm. respond to. What's your Twitter handle? It's Ken. It's my Twitter handle is Ken New York. K e k e n n e w y o r k. And Instagram, I have an Instagram handle. Is that what you call it? A yeah. handle? Mm-hmm. But I never go to it. But I should. I, I mean, everyone's trying to convince me I should drop Facebook and go to in, go to Instagram. Instagram is I am Ken Friedman. But I never, I don't even know how to check it on my phone. I'm, um, but yeah, Twitter and Facebook. And I'm, I even have a Snapchat thing, but I don't oh. use that either. Awesome. Um, we almost did a did a cafeteria for them in Venice. But oh, so, really? So they gave me a handle, whatever you kids call it today. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, Ken, this has been a pleasure. Thanks so much. It's been fun. I'm sorry we fired you. No, that's okay. Seriously, it was like the best thing that ever happened to me. I think I, you, I'm not even saying that. As you a should joke. do a story. Seriously, you think you should come back and work as a back waiter and write about it? Yeah, I'm, I think it'd be a fun idea. Seriously, maybe, no, maybe I'll do that. I think that there's some still some people that I used to work with that are there. Like last time I was there. You know, when you go to these old diners, there's like you know Mabel, the waitress that's been there you know for 50 years. This pig's kind of like that. We have people that have been there for 13 years, like a lot of them. And 10 years and 11 years is kind of crazy. That's awesome. All right. Thanks. The Eater Upsell is recorded in the Vox Media Studios in New York and Los Angeles. Your hosts are me, Helen Rosner, and that other guy over there, Greg Morabito. Our producers are Maureen Giannone and Patrick Balder. Our editor and associate producer is Daniel Janine. Our associate editorial producer is Kendra Vaculin. Our studio ops team is Alex Ulreich and Miles Yule. Our editor-in-chief and fearless leader is Amanda Clute. And the most important person involved in the creation of this entire crazy rodeo is you, dear listener. You. Thank you for being exactly who you are. <laughs>